0: Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast, all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor. Today's guest is University of Oregon golf coach Casey Martin. Now, Casey has one of the most unusual and inspiring journeys of any college coach I've run across. He's seen the highs of coaching college players of the year and winning a national championship. But he's also had to endure more than his fair share of hardship. Casey speaks candidly about his lifelong struggle with Klippel-Trenowne syndrome, a rare condition where the main vein in his right leg that sends blood back to the heart never formed. This condition led to amputation of his right leg this past October. We also discuss his recruitment to Stanford and his iconic teammates that he had there at Stanford. Also talked about is his fight for the right to use a cart on the PGA Tour. Casey finally talks about how his faith has pulled him through all of these and other hardships. I hope you enjoy the listening. All right, better than I found it, listeners. Let's give a big welcome to my good friend from the University of Oregon, Casey Martin. Casey, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're. uh, I've been wanting to do this one for a while. You are an incredible. Uh, conversationalist. You are an amazing personality. There's a lot about you I really, really like and respect. And uh, I think you're going to give some good perspective on some things for my listeners today. Great. Thank you. Question is, uh, it's, it's middle of June. How you yep. doing out there in Oregon? Everything good? We're
1: struggling a little bit. It's not been, it's been the wettest spring in 81 years, I was just told. So when you're wet in Oregon, that's, that's legit wet. Um, so it hasn't been great. Um, but, uh, it's supposed to get good here next week and we'll get through it. We'll survive, but it's been a little bit of a gusher.
0: That's okay. It happens. We're, we're getting, yeah. we're in a little bit of a drought here in Texas. So I think it's going to be yeah. a, a hot, dry summer here. So, you know, we were in a drought too, this winter. That's
1: all everyone talked about. And I guarantee it. We're not in a drought anymore. There, there's no way we're in a drought. Uh, have plenty we're in.
0: Of-
1: so we're doing good that way. Um, I
0: just don't really like wearing a coat but you got to do what you got to do, right? You do. Absolutely. Well, listen, Casey, okay, so thanks for joining me. I've uh, I've got a lot I want to cover today and I'm going to try to do it as quickly as we can, but I think anybody that's followed college golf or even professional golf the last 20 years knows about your situation. So I think wow. it's not like I'm going to be a revelation here or something new to, to present, but I would like to just start with, you know, I know in October you, um, uh, You lost your leg. uh, And I know that was a challenging you've had a life full of challenges. But that that must have been a really, really hard thing to go through. And I talked to you about 10 days before. um, But talk to me about what life's been like since October fifteenth. Yeah, well,
1: um, it's been a little bit of a grind. Um, I'm not going to lie. I've been through a lot and and I knew this day was coming in my life um, just as my leg born with a KT syndrome and all the complications that that had gone with it, talking to doctors, I knew there was a day coming a day of reckoning, so to speak. And, but I kind of held it off for a long time. But about three years ago, I went out to get my garbage at night, there was some road construction, and I slipped and fell and fractured my, uh, my bad leg, my, my tibia. And uh, that started a process of, of, of trying of, of getting to this point, I went through everything to try to save my leg, um, had it in a big brace, um, time. I mean, you name it, anything that, that, they have to try to heal a bone. Um, I was doing up to the point of taking these uh, meds for, um, like injections every night to, for uh, osteoporosis to try to get my leg to fill in. Nothing worked after over two years, the doctor looked at me and just said, look, there's no healing. There's not, it's not 20 or 30%. It's, it's 0%. So after suffering for two years, going through all this, dealing with the pain of a broken leg that's not healing, um, I finally decided to to amputate it, which is something I was prepared for since I was a kid, really. It wasn't like it just hit me. It was like, OK, here we are. So um decided to do it at Mayo because they have experience uh, with KT, my syndrome. And uh, the doctor here, my doctor is a great doctor, just said, look, I, I'm not doing this. I don't feel comfortable. So went back to Mayo. They did it um, October 15th, um, had a few, uh, infections in the, in the wound area, which, which had to go in and get debride type surgery, small surgeries to kind of carve out a lot of crap. So had to deal with that. Finally got my leg in January, my prosthesis, and have been trying to trying to deal with that since. And it's an amazing leg and and I'm really thankful for it, but it's not been easy, um, in particular in regards to pain. Um, my my stump my my residual leg is is sensitive and and when you put it in that socket and put pressure on it man it barks big
0: time so not, uh, go ahead go. no no well, I was just I've always heard uh for amputees about a phantom pain and I always yeah. wondered is that a real thing and obviously it really is isn't it
1: I mean it's realer than you can imagine yeah i uh, so i was told phantom pain would be Hey, you're going to feel your leg, the pains you've always had, you're going to flash back. And I am like, okay, I can I can deal with that. Um, that's not what I've experienced. Um, I haven't felt my old leg ever. Um, what I do feel though, are obviously they cut those nerves and those nerves send out blasts trying to figure out what happened. And that doesn't feel very good. Um, it, I have a lot of like tingling sensation, which is pretty doable. But early on, I, I it really felt like I was being electrocuted, like nonstop. Um, the way the nerves were responding to being cut. And Mayo did a great job. I mean, they embedded all those nerves in my muscles, and I mean, they were prepared for it. Um, but it just it's it's a real thing. It literally the best way to describe it is that it felt like my leg was plugged into an outlet and it was just nonstop electricity going up and down. Um, so I couldn't sleep. I was really, really fighting it, but I've since kind of learned how to manage it and it's fading. Um, so I still like, even when I'm talking to you right now, I can, my right foot, which isn't there is kind of buzzing. Um, mm-hmm. so it's kind of in a nuisance now it do, it's not debilitating, but it was debilitating for a couple months. Um, I, I, I'm not over that, but I'm over it as far as it being a huge issue. Um, and now it's just trying to, trying to get fit, right. My, your leg shrinks a lot in these sockets when, when you first get it, a lot of atrophy. And so every day is a little bit of a, a journey as far as how it feels. And I actually just got a new socket yesterday, which I'm excited about. Um, but it's not, it, it's still got some challenges too. So there's just, you know, there's a, there's a lot, um, my recommendation, and, and I kind of say this tongue in cheek, but is keep your limbs. Um, that would be my, my, my advice, my coaching advice to all your listeners is do everything you can to keep all your limbs. Cause it's, it's a real thing. It's, it's not easy. And, and, um, uh, but um i'll i'll get through it and and i think i can see the light at the end of the tunnel it's just still off in the distance a little bit
0: you know uh, i'm glad you brought all that to the forefront there you know one of the things i've always respected about you is is i feel like whatever you're telling me is the truth i've always felt that and, and never <laughs> and so if you say the pain is that bad i believe it completely i also know that um a lot of coaches, not just fans out there in the in the golf world, had been inspired by what you've been through, and I cho- I chose early on not to feel sorry for you because I knew you wouldn't want me to do that, and so uh, when I first met you, I think it was, I knew your story and had watched your story unfold, but I didn't meet you until the U.S. Junior, like right when you got hired, and I remember being on the tee box with you at the U.S. Junior at uh, Rancho Santa Fe, and I thought, man, this guy's got it going on. I mean, he's had all these challenges. He's got this amazing attitude and I know you don't have all the days or not all days are perfect, but you've kept an amazing uh energy and enthusiasm for life through all of this. So I just wanted you to know uh, and want my listeners to know that that that's inspired me to be a better coach and a better person. So thanks.
1: Well, well, thank you. It's not, um, um, I can fake it sometimes, but I do appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Well, listen, so let's, let's take this. I've got a bunch I want to cover, yeah, uh, but yeah. one I want to know how in the world you got to Stanford. Now, Wally Goodwin, I think he was an amazing coach, and I, I got to meet him a few times, but I didn't get to know him as well as obviously a lot of people that were around when he was coaching, but um, he brought in one of the most unusual freshman classes in the history of college golf, you <laughs> and a Gay. Yeah. So, He knew both guys were coming from incredible challenges. Yours was a physical challenge. And Noda's obviously was also physical in the sense that he was living on the San Felipe reservation, Indian reservation, and he was coming from abject poverty, basically. So it's like those two guys are your recruiting class. Talk to me about that. How did he know what he had right there?
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how he did it because it was a different era. It wasn't the internet. It wasn't, you getting videos of everyone. You just kind of word of mouth. And so my brother was two years older than me. He was one of Dwayne Knight's first recruits to UNLV. And so Cameron was playing for the rebels of, uh, he ended up transferring back to Oregon, but he started there at UNLV under Dwayne and Bruce Hepler and, and those guys. So, um, and so my brother uh, would kind of, I think brag on me a little bit and kind of tell some coaches about me. And I think that's how Wally kind of heard about me. And then, um, I played at junior world one summer. Um, normally it, my traditional pattern, I just played Oregon junior golf, high school golf and Oregon junior golf. I didn't play a lot of national stuff. Um, I think that was just, and like I said, it was a different era back in the eighties. And so, um, it was a little more grassroots, recruiting and and but i did i decided to forego the oregon state juniors which was a big deal to play junior world in san diego i just wanted to do it i ended up playing great i finished second um and wally watched me there and and so when he saw me he saw the challenges i had walking and stuff but he was willing to roll the dice and and try to get me and then and then he had he had actually never seen no to play he saw him play basketball which is really unique but um, he'd heard a lot about Noda. Noda was winning a lot. Noda was a special talent. So um, he had heard enough that I think he just rolled the dice. That he had trusted enough people that had seen us, and and then when he did get to see me, he was comfortable um, giving me a scholarship. So um, the recruiting process was different. I I, I it was uh, very unique. I, I love I had a great opportunities at a lot of great places. Um, but I'm grateful I chose Stanford. It was an amazing place to go to school, and and I never thought I'd play. Professional golf. So I wanted that degree and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful it worked out both ways. So.
0: That, that is incredible. Um, so, Wally, I read one time a passage where he talked about you and Case or uh, you and Nota being the two most important recruits in his career and certainly the most inspiring and interesting. Wow, that's pretty amazing uh, thing for him to say considering one of his recruits was Tiger Woods. Yeah. He might have said that before
1: Tiger signed. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, we, we had a great run. Noda and I were, you know, stick as thieves for a while and, and I love him and we had a great run and, and certainly had this heard this rumor that Tiger was, was really thinking about coming to Stanford. And so, you know, I remember talking to Noda about we were going to graduate before he got there. And so trying to, trying to piece that together, like, Hey, do we, do we redshirt a year and wait for him? And, and I remember thinking, well, crumb oh dear i i'm not going to graduate in four years i you know stanford's pretty tough and we were playing a lot of golf and so um we with coach's blessing and also he might have prompted it too i forget exactly but we all sat around and had this master plan of of redshirting a year our junior year and letting a few younger guys get a lot of experience behind us and then wait for tiger to be able to have kind of this epic run to try to win a championship and um as it worked out we did win a championship not with tiger but we did it the year before and 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 that was um just an amazing experience and then getting to play with tiger was unbelievable um i could talk a long time about stuff i learned and saw and and, uh, witnessed and it was pretty cool so um it's just a great experience i'm sure it's a big reason why i'm coaching today i had such a great experience so
0: well before we talk about tiger which i definitely want to do um i think it's it was unprecedented for guys that are all Americans that are great players like you and know were, to red shirt that late in your career, especially. And yeah. to, I don't think it would happen today. I, I would hope that it could, but I just don't think it would happen today. And it, it's incredibly ironic that you guys won that championship at Stonebridge ranch in Dallas or McKinney, Texas before uh tiger got on campus. And, um, then when he got on campus, we're going to talk about that at the Scarlet Course a little bit pretty quick. But so he's a freshman. Tiger comes in as a freshman. You guys are defending national champions. And is it true the stories we hear about you guys treating him like a freshman? I mean, you're talking about this. and may talk about that. Yeah,
1: we tried. Uh, Noda tried in particular. Um, and it it happened for like the first week. Noda was like, hey, get our luggage, do all this fun stuff. And then he started winning everything and signing autographs and airports and we're like, you know what this doesn't really fit we'll we'll kind of slack so he he uh, he earned his way out of any hazing like in a few days um but no to try he really did a, a, a very good effort to try to make tiger feel like a normal um like a normal freshman but it didn't last very long.
0: Well you know've I've read stories also about that they make the stories make it sound like it lasted for his entire freshman year. Thank you for setting us straight on that. Yeah. <laughs> So Tiger uh, was enormously talented. We all know that, and he still is to this day. Um, it, it's kind of crazy. You had a, uh, you had literally the confluence of three of the most iconic figures in in college golf history. I mean, if you think about it, think about Nota Begay, a true Native American, off of a reservation, ends up winning four times in the PGA Tour. Tiger Woods becomes the, the greatest winner in the history of the game, and you literally played the PGA tour with a leg that should not have allowed it to happen. That that's a pretty incredible story in the same little time.
1: It it was we we laugh about it. I mean we had a quite a quite a crew of of Noda and Tiger myself and then we had Will Yanagasawa who's now working for Ping and he was Japanese American and Steve Burdick who's now working for College Golf Fellowship and we used to laugh that he was just the boring white guy. Um, <laughs> and so we we just you know we had a we had a great run. We got along really well Um, we, we had a great experience. Everyone I think appreciated being there and, and coach did a great job just kind of, you know, keeping us happy and and letting us play golf. He he didn't interfere much. And, and, um, you know, we just had a, we had an amazing, amazing run. I really feel like it's, it's why I've always kind of thought I might get into coaching because I had such a great experience. I'm really thankful for Stanford and Wally and all those guys because it was, it was good times
0: for sure. While he was a, a truly great coach. I think he knew people. I think he really understood people really well, which made him great, but what would you say made him a great coach, and would that be part of it?
1: Well, he's a great recruiter. Um, there's no doubt about it. He he would connect with people, had a very warm, charming personality. People were drawn to him, um, and I think he was able to attract a lot of talent when you look back at who you just mentioned, but there were others as well. I mean, he recruited Jim Benepe at Northwestern. He's, and other guys, Joel Kreibel, who was a three-time first-team All-American after we left at Stanford. I mean, he, um, Wally knew how to recruit, which is, you know, as coaches, you know, that's like number one, um, if you don't have talent, we're, none of us are good enough coaches to take a kid who's not very good and make him a tour player. I mean, it's just, you got to have elite talent. And I think was where it started. But, but Wally was just a great guy. He's fun to be around. And uh, he didn't overcoach, uh, which I think is a lesson that I've had to learn through trial and error when I first got coaching, I wanted to help everybody and teach everything that I've ever learned. And, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm reticent to do that. I, I, I feel like um, less is more sometimes and Wally definitely, he didn't, he knew a lot cause he was a good player, but he, he never tried to, you know, be put harm to us, you know, he just kind of let us play and would guide us. So those are the things I remember. And, and um, um yeah, I, 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 I can never be Wally. You got to be yourself, but certainly take some of those things. And when I'm trying to coach too much, I remember that
0: um, we did pretty well without, without being micromanaged. So, so if, if Wally brought you that one thing, that's probably the most important thing he gave you maybe. I think so. I mean,
1: there, I mean, there's probably a lot. I'd have to really think about it, but that's what I really look back. I never felt uh, intimidated playing for him. I, um, I mean, he would help us if we were screwing up, but um, it wasn't a real judgmental figure, which is, Tough to do. I mean, it's something I haven't succeeded at, and um it, it's tough to have that. um And sometimes you can't help it, right? You're head coaches, and kids are going to feel a little awkward or feel like you're judging them, and we probably are, right? I mean, it's kind of what we have to do. But I never felt that way with with Wally. I i he was a grandfather type figure, which which you know, which great. We were all hyper motivated. I mean, it wasn't like we needed someone cracking the whip telling us to practice. Um, so. Uh, Sometimes coaches have to do that, right? But but he was just different. He had a, we had a unique crew, so
0: I think that speaks to his ability to find kids in recruiting that were not going to have to be motivated. So, it I, I know this when I get a lazy kid on my team, I I, I want to point the finger at him, but the truth is I could point it at myself because I should have figured this out in recruiting. This kid was not going to be a worker, or he wasn't going to fit or gel with what we were doing, and I think that's on me. And I think Wally was, you're right, an amazing recruiter. He got the right guys at the right time. And quite frankly, what he created there was pretty amazing. But let's talk about the Scarlet Course, your last year. That was your last golf tournament in college. And it was the first playoff in the history of the NCAA Golf Championship. It was, I
1: remember it pretty well. It was nuts. It was a crazy experience. Um, We were doing well. Um, we had a big lead. Um, there was a bunch of bad weather, um, thunder showers. Um, I can remember if I if I remember this right, Oklahoma State um wasn't doing as well as us until the last nine holes. They put on this incredible run. The rain delay kind of knocked us out. And one of their players finished before the rain delay. And I think the coach thought it was over and he went to the airport because he had to get back to England or something. And it's for some crazy so they were left with four guys and they just everybody like birdie, um alan bratton chris cox chris tidland all those guys uh hank keeney or hank Ke- uh yeah uh trip, trip keeney, keeney. Yep. excuse me and uh, they all just made a slew of birdies on the final four holes and um to put some pressure on us and i remember on the final hole tough hole 18 i had a birdie look i missed noda had a birdie look he missed and then Tiger shows up and he's got a 10 footer to win it and missed it. And I think I was quoted as saying, I think that's the first putt of significance that Tiger might've missed for something, you know? So we went into a playoff, which is a five count four playoff, but Oklahoma state was missing their, their fifth guy. They were playing four count four. And um, I remember getting out there again, we didn't screw up, but Alan Bratton made a bomb on 18 and, and they had one other putt go in and, and they beat us, you know, they were four count four, we were five count four, but they made birdies, we made pars. And so the championship went to Oklahoma state, which is, you know, they, they just added one more to their pile of them. So, um, but it was fun. We had an amazing year. Um, we were number one, most of that year up until the very end. Um, and I really wouldn't change a thing. I mean, obviously you love to win back to back, but it was, it was, it was an amazing experience. We had a great time. And, and, um, um, what are you going to do? You just tip your hats to Oklahoma state when they did what they had to do to get into playoff and then make all those birdies.
0: Yeah, it was an amazing it, in growing up in Oklahoma, being an Oklahoma state golf fan and everything. And I was still a high school coach at the time, but I remember that championship thinking, wow, it'd be hard to recreate this, but there was a book written about it about that year called the last But to dream, you know, two teams, one dream and a freshman named tiger. And, I've got a copy of it. I've read it a few times. And it basically chronicles that year from the USM where Tiger Woods beat Trip Keeney at TPC Sawgrass all the way through to the NCAA championship. There's some really, really good chapters, one on Wally, one on Mike Holder, one on you and and Noda, and another one on Alan Bratton and Chris Tidlin. But it did some good sidebar stories, interesting, interesting college golf book, if you will. There's not very many of them out there. So it's by Neil Hayes and Brian Murphy called "The Last Putt. Uh, I'd suggest anybody that wants to read about that year because there's a lot of good stuff in there on you and and Noda. So, um, yeah. so anyway, you uh, you finished at the NCAA Championship with the Scarlet Course, successful career, and you turned professional. Tell me a little bit about that process because I'm sure success didn't happen right away. But uh, and let's get up to the, like a really really <laughs> interesting time of your life where you uh, you sued the PGA tour to ride a cart so but talk to me about yep. early in the process so uh,
1: in regards to the cart um my leg started deteriorating midway through college and there was a provision in the NC2A rule book that if you were legally disabled that you could petition to use a cart and my coach knew that and so he saw me playing at Arizona State one watching me play and it was torturous for him he's like you are going to you start using a cart i can't watch you walk like this and it's just, you got to do it. So um, he kind of strong-armed me into it and I'm grateful for it. Um, I, I put up some resistance. I didn't want to be different, um, but I eventually accepted it because I I knew deep down I needed it. So, but when I turned professional, you know, you walk and you, you have a caddy, which is great, but um, you still have a lot of walking to do. So I started out playing. I I just missed um, getting onto the Nike tour right off the bat, which was kind of crushing, but I played the Hooters tour for two years um, throughout the Southeast and, and uh, did okay. Um, had, had a few really good, good events and was kind of coming up the ranks, but my leg was going the other way. I was really struggling. And I remember my second year, summer on the Hooters tour, I remember petitioning them to be able to use a cart. And I remember the guy came up to me from the Hooters tour. He's like, look, I want to do this, but I got to, I, I don't know how to Navigate this. Let me give me a few weeks to make some phone calls and figure it out. And he obviously called the tour and and told them what was going on. And they they said don't do it. And so he came back to me and said, look, I I can't give you a cart on the Hooters tour. It's just I called around and I just think that I'm not in a position to do that. So I kind of stopped playing at the end of my end of that summer uh, because I my leg was hurting and and I didn't get a cart. So I was going to Q school in that fall in my mind for one last time, it was my third time going. And I thought, okay, I'll do it. If I can get on the Nike tour, um, which is now the corn ferry, um, that would be great. And if not, then maybe it was time for me to use my degree and go do something. Um, so, but I'd been practicing hard. I wasn't feeling very good physically, but I was grinding to try to make it. I was at a place called, uh, I got through first stage. Um, second stage was at a Fort Ord, which is a really tough course in, in Monterey, California. And I shot 69 the last round, um, to be able to qualify, um, for, for the finals. And if you make the finals, then you're either going to be on the PGA or the Nike slash corn Um, and so when I did that, I was like, wow, I, 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 I felt like I made it. The problem was my leg was struggling and, um, perhaps in relation to the conversation Carts for the first time ever were not allowed at the final stage of Q school. Um, And so every other year they were allowed. You basically, when you played Q school, you just, there was a cart, you could either use it or not. um, But they took it away. um, Probably in relation to the fact that they knew that um, I was coming up. Right. And they didn't want to have to maybe deal with it. So um, in light of that, I remember this story can get long. I'll try to speed it up, but I had, I had an attorney friend, who, who pulled me aside, um, Bill Wiswall and I used to caddy for him at the country club. And he was like, case the ADA's in place, Americans with disabilities act. There's something there that you're entitled to let me help you. And I, I reluctantly said, okay, whatever that means, let's go for it. So he petitioned the tour through a court injunction to be able to use a cart. And, um, I didn't know what would make of it. We won. Uh, the injunction so at finals i was allowed to use a cart and the tour is like well we can't just let him and not everybody else so they opened up to everybody and it kind of was controversial and then i went um it it evolved into a full-fledged lawsuit uh, of which before it happened i went and played the first event i I didn't make the tour i made the nike tour and i went and played an event the first one in uh, lakeland florida i was able to win it in a cart on an injunction um, media from, I mean, I remember Peter Jennings and NBC News, he wasn't there, but his news crew was there and ESPN and all these news crews were following this young kid that's suing the tour for a right to use a cart and I win the event. So it went from big news to really big news. And and obviously the lawsuit happened of which we prevailed. Um, and then it, it appealed and we won. And then it went all the way where they appealed to the Supreme Court And, you know, talking to my attorneys, they're like, look, we, my attorneys, I remember telling me they couldn't envision a scenario where the PGA tour would hear this case. The, the Supreme court only hears about 5% of the cases brought to them. Um, and if they don't hear them, then it's over. And so I didn't want them to hear it because I had won. And if they heard it, then there's a chance they, they would overturn it. Uh, somehow the, 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 uh, Supreme court felt like this was worthy enough that they were going to hear the case, which is looking back, it was a bad break for me, but, um, it was going to go to the Supreme court. So when you do that, there were so many, so many layers to that. Not only, I mean, the expense of that was really daunting. Um, and, and, you know, we can get to this too, but you know, I'm a Christian and, and, and I believe God provides and he takes care of his heads and, and he totally did for me. Um, I had a one of my sponsors that that basically called me up and said, "Hey, um, I want to give you my attorneys. They have uh, e- experience in the Supreme Court, and let them run with it." Because my attorneys, that's sort of out of their ballpark a little bit. So uh, I had uh, George Roberts was, was his name, KKNR, and he was one of my sponsors. And so he just he did it. He he gave me his attorney, uh, Roy Reardon, and Roy argued the case, and then lo and behold, we won again. And so I had all my, all my expenses, which probably would have totaled over a million dollars in attorney fees. And then the tour had to pay for it. So
0: So yeah, it's pretty
1: <laughs> amazing how that, how that worked out. And I'm so grateful because it, that I remember just the, the fear of, gosh, if I lose this, then I've got all these attorney fees. And certainly people were taking care of me and they understood my situation, but I mean, it was a real situation, a real kind of worry, but it worked out. I won. Had a chance to to use a cart for as long. It, when I show up at a PGA Tour event, I not as a spectator, but if I'm in the field, I, I I get a cart, and 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 that certainly helped me and allowed me to play for a few years. It didn't help me win, but it did help
0: me get out there. So, well, I have a question why Why did that cart never have a roof on it? You know, you always had a cart with no roof. Explain it was is that so you could go underneath gallery ropes easier. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, they wanted a couple things. They didn't feel like. Uh, it would be good for me to be if there was rain that somehow I could have a cover. Totally understood it. But mainly uh, the logistics out there with a cart aren't easy on the PGA tour. I mean, you have grandstands and you have ropes that line every fairway. And so um, you really, it really was a good thing because I could zip in and out under the ropes. Um, It it would have been a real hassle with, with a roof. Um, So yeah, that, that, that's why.
0: Did you ever feel Uh, uncomfortable around PGA tour officials or or was that something you didn't have to deal with very much or? No, uh,
1: I I never felt uncomfortable. They were great. The people I dealt with on the tour were awesome. Um, You know, on a daily basis, no issues, um, good people. And uh, I always felt taken care of. Um, Certainly they had to take care of me. Um, And there were a few interesting episodes through there of randomness through the years, but um, they were great. So no, no complaints.
0: (laughs) Two things. Did you ever run over somebody's golf ball, including your own? And did you ever hit anybody with the cart?
1: I never hit anybody with a cart um, of significance. Although, (laughs) as I look back, what I dealt with was unprecedented. I mean, when there are people watching and I'm weaving in and out, trying not to hit people, um, my heart rate, every hole would spike. And I didn't think of it as a big deal at the time. It's just like golf, you know, whatever. But looking back at what I know now as a coach, trying to have peak performance and the the importance of just having a steady, calming, concentrative influence, um, I was lost. And it was really, really difficult. So um, people say you have an advantage physically, which I would argue because, you know, I had a lot of challenges. But there is another side to that of just what we just spoke, what I just spoke about, about some of the chaos that I was trying to play golf
0: with. It was really, really difficult. Did you get support from a lot of the tour players? I realized there was some sort of not support from some pretty high profile people that didn't feel like it was fair, but I bet you got some support from especially uh, some of your fellow professionals.
1: For sure. I, I had a lot of support and um, there were certainly dissenting opinions, which I totally understood. I mean, I, I, I knew I had to do it. I had to do it. I thought the law was clearly on my side, but it was a little awkwardness of, you know, you know, coming up a big Hill and I'm cruising up the Hill on a cart and everyone's walking up. I mean, it would, it would feel weird a little bit. I mean, I would, I would trade with anyone in the field to have their leg and they could take the cart and my leg. I mean, that was a no brainer, but there was an awkward part too. Um, and so I understood pretty deep. I, I understood the arguments and I I didn't try to hold it against anybody. There were a few comments that ruffled me, but, by and large um the, the guys were accommodating and, and helpful and and supporting
0: that's great i know that jack nicholas early on was uh, against it. he actually testified but um i know that he also sort of recanted years later he felt i mean i put words in his mouth or anything but right i think he changed his attitude toward it you know it was funny because he testified against me
1: and then i knew his son gary and, and uh, Gary came up to me one time and he just kind of pulled me aside. He goes, hey, I just want to let you know, my dad told me, you know, he kind of has felt not great about testifying and he's really cheering for you. And, you know, kind of made it sound like if he could do it over again, he probably wouldn't have done it. it sounded like the tour really pressured him into doing it. And uh, I, I was like, Gary, don't even worry about it. I'm, I, I, I love your father. I grew up idolizing him and and, um, Hey, I was able to meet him numerous times through this. So it's all good, you know? And then when I got sick, I had an infection from a surgery back in 2002. He called me to check in on me. So, you know, I have, there's zero ill will there.
0: Zero. So that's, that's um, great to hear. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously a childhood hero of yours and, uh, yeah. it's good to know that he, he eventually supported that. Tell me this, how long did you play? Because I don't really have it in front of me. When did you quit playing professional golf?
1: Oh, 2006. So maybe I think I played 12 years, um, 95 to 2006, which sounds like 11, but I think it was 12 years. And then I played a little bit sporadically. So because um, I had some status still on the web when I was coaching and I played a handful of events. So maybe 2007, something like that. Um, but I took over the Oregon program in 2006.
0: So I remember um, that day. I think it was your first tournament to recruit the U.S. Junior at Rancho Santa Fe.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember I remember you were you were following a young kid named Robbie Ziegler, two thousand eight yep. graduate, and yep. I kind of gigged you that day because I was this veteran, you know, I was an old timer already, and uh, I'm going to recruit that boy. He looks good, and you stay yep. away from him. Stay away from him. You end up yep. getting Robbie Ziegler. I did. Robbie Ziegler flipped our program
1: because that was my first big time recruit right off the bat, and that that allowed me to get a bunch of other kids because they knew he was good and they wanted to play with him. So. Um, that was a very important time to keep you away from him, and uh, <laughs> that was my first job as a coach: is is box box out the Oregon kids, keep keep McGraw from from the big schools away. And and uh, so looking back, that was uh, we had a great run early on, and and Robbie was a big part of it. So yeah,
0: yeah, and he's still involved with golf business. They actually still a good player. He competes still. Great player. Yeah, that's yeah. great. All right. Couple things I want to talk about the 2016 NCAA that you hosted and you won. Yep. But before that, let's 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 weave in something I know is very important to both you and I, and that is our faith. Yeah. Um boy, our faith is tested a lot in this life. And yours seems like maybe a few more times than the average guy. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've had a lot to to be tested, whether it was in the coaching realm with your physical condition or just yeah. you know, public yeah. opinion, that type of thing. How has faith kind of directed? Any or all of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, my faith is, I became a Christian at a young age. And then when I was in college, got involved with the Bible study and my faith really kind of took, it kind of became my own really in college instead of just growing up with your parents and believing in Jesus. And, and um, it really became, in fact, I remember at Stanford, I had all these amazing textbooks that, you know, thousands of pages of just, you know, knowledge And I was given this little book called More Than a Carpenter, which is about an 80, 100 page book, apologetic book. And I remember reading that. And that book changed my life because I realized, wow, the faith that I grew up with that I've always believed this is legit. This is not some kind of fairy tale. And and my faith really started to grow through that. Um, And then I got in. I love music. And there was a guy named Keith Green, who was a, a back old school kind of hippie Christian um, Jesus freak movement back in the seventies and his music, I just used to always love and, and got really into that. And that's where my faith really took off in college is my faith became my own. And I realized that I wasn't perfect, that I needed a savior and Jesus was my savior. So, um, and I look back on that and it was, um, it happened at a time when I was in a fraternity when I should be partying. And I probably was initially, but God just kind of plucked me out. And, um, and I'm so grateful for that. So, um, but I was plucked out of that in a sense and thrown into the fire pretty quick. <laughs> you know, it didn't take too long before, you know, I had some pretty serious trials with my leg kind of falling apart and then the, the PJ tour issue and, and whatnot. So my life, I, I wouldn't say it's been easy. Um, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't change anything. It's, it's who I am and it's, it's a journey you got to go through. Um, but I, I don't want to do it over. I mean, I don't want to do it again. i, I <laughs> once is enough through some of these things. So um, my faith is still strong. I, 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 I need the Lord so much. Um, Certainly with when you lose a limb and and you're going through some of the things I'm going through, I really rely on Jesus a lot. So I'm thankful for
0: him. I truly love hearing that message. And thank you for that. Um, So your faith means that when you're down and you don't, you don't even make nationals, uh, it's the same. And when you Win a national championship is the same. Just because you won a national championship doesn't make you a better uh, man in the eyes of the Lord. That's a fact. So now, Casey, I want to talk about a pretty big moment in your golf career, uh, the national championship in 2016 that you hosted at Eugene Country Club and your team won. Before you go into your perception or your memories of that week, I want to say a couple things. One, that golf course – was in as good a condition as any golf course we've ever played at the national championship. I think many, many coaches will say Thank that you. as well. Uh, so you, you, your uh, staff did in an incredible job there. The, uh, the hospitality was wonderful. A good friend of mine who played golf for me in Edmond High School, Rich Sperlin, the <laughs> club manager there. Yeah. Uh, so I've known Rich for almost 40 years. And just everything about the week was literally perfect. Even the weather was pretty amazing. It was cool in the mornings, but great otherwise. So I have great memories of that. I took Baylor up there for the national championship. What are your memories? I mean, it was one of the greatest weeks of my life, for sure. Um, and it led
1: a lot of stress up to that. Um, we we put a bid in a couple of years prior. It's a little different than it is now. It wasn't like years and years out. We a couple of years prior and I had um, a solid team and I had a young man named Aaron Wise coming into school, which he was a a great player. And and I was excited that. So we went for it, put a bid in, got it. Um, There was one major like stress point, and that was regionals, trying to get through regionals to make it back when you're hosting. Because, I mean, the last thing you want to do is not be there when you're investing a quarter of a million to run the event. And just, you know, you can imagine just the pressure there. So. We, we, we got sent to regionals in Arizona and just had this epic run where on the final day of regionals, we didn't have a bogey on the team until like our 13th hole and just were shooting lights out. So my stress level, um, went from being extreme to, I could finally breathe with five holes to go, knowing we could go back home. And I just wanted to do a good job and have my team represent Oregon and be at that championship. And I felt like we had a good chance to do well um and lo and behold we just we just started playing great we had a bad first day I kind of barked at my guys for being soft you know and and they responded (laughs) unbelievably to the point where we made match play and then we just started picking off these teams and it was just people started figuring it out and they were coming through the fences to come watch and there were thousands of people out there and just we got it obviously came down to a playoff between us and Texas in the finals and um, a young man named Solman Raza, who's from South Eugene High School, who grew up um, you know, in the shadow of U- University of Oregon, he makes um an eight-footer on the third hole of playoff to win. And um, uh, you know, in front of all his home crowd and fans and friends and and everyone got to got to kind of rejoice over that. It was truly just a historic week for Oregon, and it was a perfect week. And I'm so thankful that. Um, I got to play a role
0: in that because it was really, really cool. Yeah, I mean that I remember it just like that. <laughs> I just didn't have the same emotions attached. I will say something that you pointed out that I think is very significant. And that was you felt way more pressure at the regionals. Way more pressure. Way uh, more. And like fetal yeah. position. <laughs> just,
1: I mean, I have never prayed more in my life than than that <laughs> week. Just like Lord, please let us get get home, you know? So I just want to host, just let me host. Just let me, I don't even care. We finished 30th. Just let us be there. Uh, (laughs) And obviously that wasn't the case, but um, we got through and, and um, like I said, it turned out to be just,
0: it was pure magic. So. When I was coaching at Oklahoma state, we were going to host. The only time I could host as a, um, as a head coach in 2011, we got the bid I think in late 2007, early 2008. And I remember saying a prayer. I, I remember it. And just saying, Lord, whatever you do that week, I'm okay with that. But please let me have a good team. Just give me a good enough team where we'll have a chance. Yep. And, and we did that year, and I was very thankful for that. But there's a lot of pressure uh, attached to hosting a national championship. One, especially if you have a good team, people expect a lot. Yep. And you guys were good enough that year that they expected a lot. And Aaron Wise definitely yeah, Aaron, produced
1: Aaron Wise. Is, so it's funny as you look back. The year prior, we had just been announced that we were going to host it. So the year prior, we had this epic run in the fall where we won every event in the fall, um, culminating in a 30 under round in Hawaii, the NC2A record uh, for a one round event at Kapalua, not the hardest course, obviously, but we shot 30 under as a team in one round, and to finish off our fall season, won every event. We're ranked number one. And then we sort of started to slip that spring, Um, a lot of distractions. And, and I could go into why that was, it was, it was not the greatest. And then it really took a while for the team to kind of get back their groove, so to speak. But we really did. We had a, that was an amazing team. And we, we started playing better a year later, right before the championship and then obviously won. So we weren't ranked super high, but that team, if you look at it, There was there was some great players, Aaron, obviously. And we had done a lot prior to that. Um and uh but yeah, it was it was magical for me and just to be able to be a part of that and um the whole week, weather, um, condition of the course, um, the fans. There's so many fans up. It was just so fun. So
0: it was good times. Yep. Awesome. Well, glad to hear that. Um, I have a question. Do you do you see yourself coaching for 10 or 15 more years? Do you see that as a possibility? I know you're getting ready to be 50 at some point this year.
1: I just turned 50 last week. So right. I am a senior. Um, yeah, I don't, um, I, I love my job. Um, I love University of Oregon. It's my home. Um, I I have no plans to do anything else. Um, I have this little bee in my bonnet to maybe try to play a little bit if I get my leg healthy when I turn 50. But um, that's a little bit of a, of, of a far-fetched dream at this point. Um, so I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to get back obviously with my leg to, to, to be full go. I'm doing everything I can. Um, and I love my job. Like I said, it's fun. Um, I, I enjoy college golf. I love being around the kids and and playing a role in their life. So, um,
0: I'm, I'm all in. Well, I, my plan is to try to coach another 10 or so. So we'll see, hopefully we can be walking fairways together, uh, going forward from, from now level I love on. it. I, love I, have a, I have a question. Do you consider yourself an inspiration to your players? Don't ever think about it. Um, I I don't
1: even – it doesn't even cross my mind. I, I got a job to do to coach this team and and um, to try to share my experiences, try to help them be better, and try to do a good job for the University of Oregon. I, that stuff doesn't even – I don't even think about it. Obviously, you know, the articles come out and what I've been through, and but it doesn't – I don't even – I've never
0: thought in those terms, so. No, okay. you're just doing your job. Just doing my job. Well, you do a great job. How about that? Thank you. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, I hope you keep on doing this as long as you see, as long as you're interested, as long as you love it, because you're a great coach. And you you may not think you inspire your players, but I see it from a distance. I think you do. And I Thank think uh, I think you inspire your fellow coaches. So keep that up. I would love to know more uh in the future and i'd love to see let's meet in the national championship one day in the finals what do you think uh lord let it be that would be
1: so so cool (laughs) that'd be awesome
0: well i know you're at a tournament getting ready to go out and recruit on nine holes here in a minute and my hope is that i see you at some tournament this summer if not we'll see you in the fall at a tournament i know let's go i can't wait we we
1: have a you know, we have a great, great world in college golf and get to coach and be around these great players. It's really fun. And I, I look forward to doing it and seeing you out there. So thanks for Absolutely. having me on your show.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Casey. Have a good day, okay, brother. We'll see you. Okay. Uh-huh. Be good.